Welcome to Theory of Indivisibility, solutions-focused evolutionary analysis of our social, economic, and political systems delivered to you in short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Dr. Sunjata. Hello, and thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to episode two of Theory of Indivisibility, and I appreciate you joining me once again. This episode is going to be different from episode one. Episode one was more of a narrative. I read through my notes and I edited out all of the mistakes. I received some feedback from friends that I should be more natural, keep it more conversational, um, and that that would probably do a better job of opening up the door for more dialogue and helping all of you, the listener, to feel more comfortable engaging in dialogue with me. So I'm taking heed to that advice. And during this episode, it's going to be a lot more conversational. And I am going to I'm not going to edit out mistakes as many mistakes. And you're going to get my natural speaking voice and my natural interest and passion and my raw thoughts around some of the facts that I'm going to share as well. So I still have all the facts and the information I'm going to share, but you're also going to get more of me. And I hope they're right. I hope that it makes you all feel uh, more welcomed and feel more a part of the conversation as it unfolds. So let's jump into it. In episode one, we discussed what to expect during season one of Theory of Indivisibility, my motivation for creating this podcast, and I introduce you to the concept of systems thinking, which is the framework or the the toolbox, if you will, that we will be using for our analysis of the following social systems, power over, patriarchy, religion, ownership, capitalism, democracy, racism, and education. We will dedicate one episode each to analyzing the evolution of each of these systems. So each episode will contain three parts. Part one, how did we get here? During this part of the show, we're going to start from the very beginnings of how that system evolved. What is the scientific evidence and the historical evidence, the most latest and relevant evidence of how that system evolved? Part two, we're going to talk about where are we now? And during this part of the show, we're going to discuss the current realities and the current complexities of each system um, that we're focusing on during that show. And part three is theory of indivisibility. During this part of the show, we're going to explore my theory of indivisibility and how it applies to the system and focus during that show. We're also going to explore the various ways that individuals are pioneering new systems to replace the old systems, new systems that are rooted in sustainability, equity, freedom, and love. Now, I know I haven't shared my theory of indivisibility just yet, and I plan on doing so in episode three. So hopefully you're interested enough to keep following along so that you can learn exactly what that is. So before analysis of each system begins, the first two episodes, how we got here, part one, and today's episode, how we got here, part two, I created them to provide some necessary context. You see, remember episode one where I explained that everything is a system? Literally everything is a system. And every system evolves from another system. Well, this podcast is a system. 
and every episode is going to build on the previous episode. So it's really important that I set the context in episodes one and two for the exploration and the analysis that we're going to do in the coming episodes. So I also want to remind you that this podcast is a dialogue. I'm going to share my best evidence-based thinking with the hopes that you're going to reflect and share your best evidence-based reflections with me and our community of listeners. Now, you can share at patreon.com forward slash live indivisible. That's where we're going to be building community around this work. And that's where you can become a patron to support the show and to help it become more sustainable, which will give me more time that I can put into producing these shows on a more frequent basis. And also, that's where you can meet other listeners and start the conversation or continue the conversation. So today's show is going to be an exploration of how we got here, how we got to this point in our collective existence as humanity, where most societies globally deal with some forms of inequality, poverty, war, crime, prejudice, hunger, pollution, and environmental instability. So when I talk to people about these societal issues, I get the sense that many people believe that things are the way they are because that's just the way they've always been. And they also feel like, it's, that's the way it's always going to be. And I get a general statement when I have these conversations. I get a general statement from people, and it's something along the lines of, well, that's just human nature. It's human nature to be selfish, greedy, and power-seeking. In reality, what I've learned based on my research for this podcast is that the societal ills that we deal with are relatively new in the context of human existence. And during this show, we're going to explore how we got here how we got to this point in history, literally starting from the beginning. My desire to understand how we got to the present day with so much dysfunction, it really pushed me to research the origins of the universe as well as the origin of human beings and why we think and act in the ways that we do. My knowledge of systems thinking informs the way I think, and it also informs the questions that I, that I ask. So I know that everything is a system that evolves from something else, And in reality, nothing is just is what it is, as you'll hear a lot of people say. Everything in society started from somewhere. Literally everything, every system started from somewhere, from our language to the way we write, the way we speak, the patterns, everything. So this led me to ask the questions that form the basis for this show. I grew up in a family where the teachings of Christianity and the Bible provided the historical context for these type of things, and I never really questioned those teachings until I was a young adult. And in school, I never had a teacher that that really invited us to explore the topic of evolution deeply. You know, um, it was brought up in the textbooks and the teachers mentioned it, but I never had a class that really, really unpacked it. And really allowed us to like go really, really deep with it or encourage us to. So when I was in school, it was all about just doing enough to pass, you know, to get a passing grade, to pass the test. And it wasn't really about going deeper into anything if it wasn't a natural interest of mine. And back then, you know, this topic just wasn't a natural interest of mine. So I wasn't going to invest more time. And now that I think about it, 
I wonder if some of my science teachers' religious convictions were the reason why, you know, we didn't explore it more. We didn't explore evolution more. Fast forward to the present, and I'm currently fascinated with the work of scientists across several fields who've been able to weave together evidence of the origins of the observable universe, our solar system, planet Earth, and the origins of human life with great detail, way more detail than I could have ever imagined. And all my doubts, all my skepticism, and everything, whenever I had a question, I just asked it, and I searched for the answer. And the answer there were, and here's the thing, there was always an answer. There's literally everything that I could come up with and every question I could ask in every way, there was a scientific answer for it. It, it was a fascinating uh, journey to do the research that I'm going to share with you. So it's all based on observable scientific evidence contributed to by scientists across disciplines like geology, biology, anthropology, archaeology, genetics, and paleontology, to name a very few. My biggest takeaway from the time that I spent doing this research about the origins and subsequent evolution of the universe and its inhabitants was that new discoveries are always being made that revise certain elements that were once thought to be true. So it's similar to how we continue to see our televisions or our, our, our smartphones, uh, pictures and technologies continue to evolve due to technological advancements. Well, we also continue to gain deeper context, a clearer picture, if you will, for science and cultures due to advancements in technology as well. The rate of scientific breakthroughs and discoveries really accelerated during the 1900s with archaeological excavations revealing prehistoric evidence of human evolution that for centuries went unknown. Like, for example, the fact that 13 of the 16 known species of humans that have roamed the Earth were discovered after 1900. And five of them were discovered after the year 2000. And I learned that several of them roamed the earth with our homo sapien ancestors before going extinct. I believe about seven or eight of them. Like this is all information that I never knew. So you can imagine how my just the way I understand, you know, just <laughs> it's forced me to question a lot. I'll say that much. It's forced, it's forced me to question a lot and to really you know, think deeply about how I understand and want to understand life. And one of the biggest takeaways that I gained from the research that I'm going to share with you and what I've already shared is that I grew up thinking that humans had, quote unquote, dominion over nature and animals and the land and all these things. But the evolutionary info that I gained during this process helps me to realize that, no, humans are a part of that story. We're no different than the unfolding and the evolution of the animals and, you know, the land and the sky and the sea and everything. Everything evolved, including humans. We're a part of that story. We're not separate from it. We don't have power over it. We don't have dominion over it or anything. What do you think? Do you think that's a true statement? Do you think differently? Let us know in the comments. So to sum up those thoughts, I'll say this. Nature, which includes humans, is a story of constant evolution, and science is the medium for telling that story. So let's start with talking about the evolution of the universe. It is a branch of physics and astronomy called physical cosmology that provides us with a model for the origins of the universe. This model is known as the Big Bang Theory. 
The Big Bang Theory describes the origins and massive evolution of the universe, as well as provides a detailed explanation for the phenomenon within it. Detailed measurements of the expansion rate of the universe inform us that the universe is approximately 13.8 billion years old. Cosmology also provides us with a timeline detailing the formation of the universe from the Big Bang to the present day. That timeline starts at zero seconds and goes on to explain in great detail what happens at various stages of expansion. So much detail that the first second of the universe's existence is broken into six subcategories that explain the foundational building block processes for further expansion. Astronomers estimate that the observable universe has between 200 billion and 2 trillion galaxies. During the matter era, which was 600 million years into the expansion of the universe, it is believed that the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy, was formed. It is estimated that the Milky Way has approximately 100 billion planets, only one of which is the planet Earth. When I was growing up, and I don't know how old I was before I knew any different. I thought there was nine planets. You all may have done that same science project that I did back in school when we had to create a model of the planets. And we only talked about those nine planets. And I don't recall. And if you did, please let me know. But I don't ever recall any teachers or any information anywhere, whether it was Sesame Street or any educational resource, ever like even gave a hint that there were more planets out there and let alone billions of them. So again, I mean, if I wish I can put you all in my brain as I was learning these things. I mean, I was like mind blown. I would post things on Facebook like, did y'all know? Am I the only one that didn't know these things? So like, that's how I felt as I was learning this. So it was during the next era, the formation of the solar system, which was approximately 9.2 billion years into the evolution of our universe, that our solar system, our sun and the planet Earth begin to evolve. That makes our sun and planet approximately 4.6 and 4.5 billion years old, respectively. So when did life emerge? How did life emerge and in what form? What preceded life in order to lay the foundation for it? These are the type of questions that I began to ask and that guided my research and the next steps that I took. And I think the answer to these questions are important because they provide context for the natural order and natural unfolding of all things. So let's reference the timeline of natural history and the timeline of human evolution to gain some perspective. And you can find both of those timelines online by just doing a quick search. It's also important to note that scientists always note that all dates are approximate and are subject to change based on new discoveries. Scientific discoveries in geology and biology contribute to the significant events detailed in the timeline of natural history. I don't know about you, but I always wonder how scientists could determine the age of something that was several million years old. And it wasn't until I started researching for this podcast that I learned about a process they call that they use called radiometric dating. Radiometric dating can be used to determine the age of objects like wood, rocks, charcoal, paper, fabrics, fossils, and shells. And, you know, when I was reading up about radiometric dating, again, just based on a, a very minimal understanding of chemistry, it just makes sense. You know, I didn't understand that all of these objects have carbon and, and carbon gives off, you know, there's something that they can do with the carbon to, to give uh, because carbon has a certain lifespan and they can use that information to uh, determine the age of something. Very, very fascinating. Again, I, I 
I hope that a lot of this the information I'm sharing will inspire you to go and, and look up some of these some of this info if you didn't already know it. So it is during this time period called the earliest solar system that the early stages of the sun and earth begin to form within the Milky Way galaxy 4.75 billion years ago and 4.55 billion years ago. Through a series of astronomical events, chemical processes, and impacts from large planetoids and debris, the planet Earth begins to increase in size during this period. It is during the next major time period called the Precambrian Superion, which began approximately 4.53 billion years ago and lasted for over 4 billion years, that we are introduced to some really important foundational building blocks for what would become Earth's ecosystem. This is the time period when gases and chemicals for Earth's ecosystem, like methane, hydrogen, nitrogen, ammonia, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, and water vapor began to release into the atmosphere. It is also during this time period that the moon and oceans begin to form. And it is also from this time period that the earliest evidence of biotic life materials, believed to be approximately 4.25 billion years old, were found in mineral deposits in Western Australia. This discovery marks the beginning of the timeline of human evolution. The timeline of human evolution provide, provides scientific evidence and theories for the genesis and subsequent evolution of the many diverse species who form the branches of the evolutionary tree of life. So what exactly is the genesis of life? Interestingly, is a process called abiogenesis. Abiogenesis is the natural process of life arising from non-living matter, such as organic compounds containing carbon. While the details of this process are still unknown, the prevailing scientific hypothesis is that the transition from non-living to living entities was not a single event, but a gradual process of increasing complexity that involved molecular self-replication, self-assembly, autocatalysis, and the emergence of cell membranes over the course of billions of years. Let me say that again. Billions of years. So, although scientists agree that abiogenesis occurred, there are several hypotheses for exactly how. I think that's a really, really important thing to wrap your mind around. Again, I was raised in a Christian household, growing to church a lot growing up. And I was taught that Genesis was that God created the earth and man and woman, Adam and Eve, over the course of seven days. The land, the earth, the animals, everything over the course of seven days. And our entire Western civilization and all the social norms and the certain sensitivities etc and the way that we engage with the land the animals uh, the environment is all based on the idea that humans were created by God to have dominion over over nature over the land over the animals etc and it was all done in a snap of a finger seven days so I can see how it's hard for people to wrap their minds around the scientific story of creation or the, I'm sorry, the scientific evidence of creation, because now you have to go from thinking that this powerful being, God, 
created the earth literally just by making a decision and having the power to do so to wrapping your mind around a process from something that was not living to become living over the course of billions of years. It's a lot, I'll admit. And I got to imagine just based on the things, you know, whoever's listening to this in your background, some of this may be uncomfortable, especially having to challenge the things that we were taught growing up. For me, when I got deep into this research, it just makes it just makes sense just based on what I learned growing up. You know, the the little bit that I learned about chemistry and biology and science and physics as a, you know, growing up and also um, just understanding how science has evolved and the role that different these different branches of science play. When I read this information about abiogenesis, and there's so much more, I'm giving you all a very high-end overview of all of these processes. I encourage you to read it for yourself. I encourage you to not be afraid to audit your beliefs and audit your, you know, your belief systems. I think this is really, really uh, important. And this episode is so important to where we're going with this podcast because it totally shifts kind of like our understanding and disposition on the role that that humans have played and the unfolding of 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 all of this in terms of again everything living and non-living in the universe. So I'd be interested to know what you think. Love to have a conversation again in the comments about science and religion and maybe are you still someone who holds you know holds tight to your religious beliefs and you reject the science? If so, again, this is a dialogue. I'm willing to listen. Please provide, you know, thorough evidence. Please be open to looking at both sides before you share your opinion, because I have. I grew up, you know, steeped in learning the Bible, re- reading the Bible as a young adult and as a child. And then I also learned the science. So I'd be interested to know from people who've, you know, taken the time to learn both, especially you know what you think, but everyone really. So let's jump back into this research. From abiogenesis and beginning with the single cell organism, evolution tells a story of complex building block processes that each lay the foundation for the next phase of development that ultimately led to the evolution of human beings. From the single cell organism 3.9 billion years ago, which was the first to breathe oxygen, evolved more complex cell organisms 2.1 billion years ago that introduced sexual reproduction. From complex cell organisms, marine species like sponges, comb jellies, and anthropods evolved 700 to 660 million years ago. These species were the first to begin developing brains and circulatory systems. From these marine species evolved the first vertebrae species in the form of prehistoric fish 505 million years ago. From fish, the first four-legged animals called tetrapods evolved, starting with amphibians 365 million years ago. From amphibians came the first reptiles 300 million years ago, which had advanced nervous systems compared to amphibians. The first reptiles had the ability to lay eggs on land, which led to colonization upland for the first time by animals. 
So I just went through, uh, you know, several stages on the timeline of human evolution. And it starts with notice that it starts with a single cell. And I'm currently at the part where we're talking about reptiles. But the one thing I want you to notice is just the time that has passed. You're literally talking about hundreds of millions of years. And, you know, our lifespan as humans is approximately 70 something years. Right. These processes took hundreds of millions of years to take place. What is that? I don't it just again, it just puts things in so much uh, context for me. According to scientists, after the appearance of reptiles over the course of approximately 40 million years, the species evolved to split into two branches. One branch evolved into modern day reptiles and birds, and the other branch evolved into modern day mammals. Mammal-like reptiles evolved into the first mammals 220 million years ago, with distinguishing features like having four limbs that extend beneath the body as opposed to sprawling out to the side like reptiles. The neocortex region of the brain, which is unique to mammals, also evolved during this time. From the evolution of mammals came the evolution of primates 85 to 66 million years ago. Over the course of the next 85 to 66 million years, Primates evolved to split into several suborders, superfamilies, and species. It is during this time that the physical features that humans and other primates share evolve. The latest common ancestor of humans and chimpanzees is believed to have lived between 10 and 4 million years ago. From this split, the primate subgroup species Homo evolves with the first humans called Homo habilis, appearing in East Africa approximately two and a half to two million years ago. So there we have it. Humans arrived on this earth two and a half to two million years ago. We started billion year, billions of years ago with the evolution of the universe and worked our way through the evolution of all these different species, etc., to get down to humans that showed up Two and a half to two million years ago. I mean, so much happened. So much happened, you know, in the universe and so much happened on Earth before the first humans even arrived. So the next timeline in the evolution of how we got here that we'll briefly explore is the timeline of human prehistory. It details the events on Earth, starting with the evolution of Homo sapiens up to when the innovation of writing was invented. The approximate dates and details in the timeline of human prehistory are based on research in the fields of anthropology, archaeology, genetics, geology, and linguistics. Research on this time period, like the others, is constantly uncovering new archaeological evidence that provides even more context and clarity into the unfolding of human life before humans began writing their history. Some highlights from this timeline include 300,000 years ago is when Homo sapiens appear in Africa. Homo sapiens is the species of humans that all living humans today descend from, or it's, it's who we are. We are Homo sapiens. Now, as I stated a little bit earlier, there's been a total of 16 human species uh, remains and fossils that have been found. And there, were, there was a time, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, when Homo sapiens roamed the earth with other species as well, but they all went extinct. So we're the only ones that survived. 170,000 years ago, humans are wearing clothing by this time. 70,000 years ago, 
the first forms of abstract art appear in the form of engraved stone in a cave in South Africa. 40,000 years ago, extinction of the human species Neanderthals occurs. 16 to 13,000 years ago, Paleolithic-era hunter-gatherers crossed the Beringia land bridge from Asia into North America to become the first inhabitants of North America. 16,000 to 11,000 years ago, Caucasian hunter-gatherers migrate into Europe from the, Caucasus, from the Caucasus region located at the border of Europe and Asia. Approximately 12,000 years ago, the agricultural revolution begins. 11,000 years ago, the oldest evidence of organized religion is found in the Near East. And 4,600 years ago, writing is developed in Sumer and Egypt, triggering the beginning of recorded history. According to archaeologists, prior to the agricultural revolution, humans did not live in societies stratified along the lines of wealth, social status, and power. For the previous approximately 290,000 years of Homo sapiens' existence as a species, our ancestors lived as hunter-gatherers in egalitarian societies. Egalitarian societies are characterized by having social and economic equality amongst all people. In pre-agricultural societies, Hunter-gatherers lived nomadic lives and depended heavily on one another for survival. Everyone had a role and they shared all responsibilities and resources. It was after the invention of agriculture, about 12,000 years ago, that humans began to form settlements and divisions of labor that would ultimately lead to power over systems created by kings and rulers that led to class divisions, competition, and war for conquests and resources. So this led me to ask some more questions. How and why specifically did power over systems evolve? What do power over systems look like today? And what ways do they help or harm society? I look forward to exploring the answers to these questions with you next time on Theory of Indivisibility. Theory of Indivisibility is written and produced by me. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review it on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It really helps a lot. For show notes and resources like graphs and the timelines that I've shared, please visit patreon.com forward slash live indivisible. Until next time, I love y'all. Peace. So can you feel it? Lose focus and you start to see the vibration Hitting every nation, check your foundation A matter of energy Got me circling for the world around me Stand strong, holding the position I belong Finish clearing the past and then you move on To a new way to go, you're engaging the flow The critical mass, got a brother running so fast But will I slow down the wheels and the bus go round and round Sitting thinking how I'm living, what the longer Now I'm coming to a point where I'm bridging the gap I reckon, living with the interpersonal ethic Emerging to another level with my culture Theme song New Vision is performed by Achilles the Cosmonaut. Find more from Achilles the Cosmonaut on your favorite music streaming app. <laughs>